Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, May 13th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? You recently did a Harry Potter reread, eh? Yeah, a couple months ago now. The pandemic has really accelerated time, but yes, yes. You remember the end of the fifth book when Dumbledore finally explains the prophecy to Harry? And he's like, oh, so I have like... I've got to kill him, like, or one of us is going to kill each other. And Dumbledore's like, no, you're still not getting it. And then somehow it clicks and he describes it as like going from being like tied to a stake to gripping the stake. Okay. That's sort of the energy I'm trying to channel these days. Okay. Okay. But what if it was Neville all along? (laughs) I mean, we'll never know. I don't know how that fits into your analogy, but channel that energy. Do it. Yeah, you threw me for a bit of a loop there. I'm really <laughs> proud of that, and now I don't know where to go. <laughs> me neither. Uh, I have I have something fun for us to talk about at the beginning here. Um, the cicadas are coming. I Googled this when I saw it in the notes, and I was a little unclear on what I was reading. Yeah, so it's it's not... Up here in Canada, not necessarily a, a huge deal, but especially in the um, mid-Atlantic, northeast part of the United States, every 17 years, these bugs, which have grown under the earth for the past 17 years, emerge and have a six-week party where they drink and copulate and just have a dandy old time. Uh, and then they all die in their shells, literally, like entire face of the earth for that one section then um it's a rare occurrence uh apparently they can get up to a sound level of 110 decibels which is the equivalent of a jet taking off um so good luck to our friends south of the border here and and we might have some of that happen here yeah just a a crazy thing i was reading apparently they taste good so that's exciting you might if anyone's interested in some, uh, I guess, cicada tacos, they apparently they taste good and you can actually eat them raw. But um, really, really interesting thing that I've been seeing in the news as uh, the, the period of awakening is supposed to start this week. Damn. Yeah, I've hear, I was reading about like some wild photography probably coming of just like paint the skies dark type like yeah. carpet bombing coverage <laughs> it, and and i'm sure a lot of people will see uh biblical worries but these mm-hmm. are not like locusts these aren't grasshoppers these are kind of they they literally grow underneath the earth for 17 years they're probably the size of your thumb um they all come out they all have a great time reproduce and then just go back under for another 17 years it's so bizarre damn yeah i mean it's not unsimilar to what we're here on this earth for, but just we True. we spread out our six weeks into little spurses within those 17 years, sleep yeah. under the ground for half a year and get a couple days in <laughs> a year, get a week in, and then die. And I'm sure we also taste fine. And we go back into the earth, right? Or so some party on Cicada Brothers and Sisters. Yeah, I know. I love it. The other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, yesterday, it was 
all over Twitter, all over social media. Where were you when uh, the shot by Kawhi Leonard against the Philadelphia 76ers in game seven of round two of the 2019 NBA playoffs already two years ago um, from yesterday and feels like it was just yesterday. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. Do you have any flashbacks to where you were when? Probably on my laptop watching something else. (laughs) Okay. I don't have anything super special either, but uh, I was watching one of the episodes of Game of Thrones because I think the new season was running, like the final season was airing the new shows every week. Um, And I was watching that with my aunt and my sister and I had it going on my phone just on the side. And um, I think it was during the episode where they have the large battle that you can't see with the white walkers where everything's all dark. Um, And uh, I started freaking out even though nothing was happening in the show and they were wondering what was going on. And it was Kawhi Leonard hitting a Canadian heritage moment. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, call the white walkers, the Sixers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It just, it was fun to see the video circulating of all the different angles. And then that one video of the entire like family in Philadelphia where just their dreams were completely crushed <laughs> um, and some of the reactions there. It was pretty sweet to soak that in once again after uh, Embiid especially had talked all that trash. I, I saw a nice angle of it, like kind of a three quarters, but like high up bird's eye view of like on the court and like Kawhi is just like crouching, chilling like a villain. And I think it's Simmons is just looking in disbelief as he sees it's like gone in the net. Yeah. I have a, I have a similar shot because I was a intern that summer at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, which is the uh, company that owns the Leafs and Raptors and TFC in Toronto. And I got to go out on that court and I have a picture of me squatting in the same spot. It's, it's not nearly as cool, but uh, I thought that was a fun moment. And that was definitely an amazing summer. Yeah. All right. Let us get to the sports of today uh, and upcoming with our hockey talk, uh, some combat corner, a uh, little bit of football, uh, footy, as well as the NFL. And then we've got some basketball, some tennis, and some baseball. So a full uh, buffet of sports on tap for today's pod. And without further ado, Max, we will jump into a couple notes uh, about hockey this week. Yeah, it's all wrapped up pretty much. Almost every playoff matchup has been set. All the teams have been seeded. And uh, the NHL playoffs are right around the corner. I cannot wait. And... There are a couple doozies of matchups that we will have. Uh, and our plan is to preview the East and the Central Division uh, tonight. And then once we are sure of where the West sits, as well as the North beginning next Thursday, uh, we will do those on our Sunday show. Um, so if you have any hockey pools, I know my dad has one coming up tomorrow night where he was hoping maybe to get some info from us before the picks. Sorry, pops. We are only going to be doing two of those series, um, but hopefully that helps. 
Uh, I've got a little <laughs> preview for the North Division. If you're listening, Mr. Robinson, uh, that McDavid guy is probably going to get a lot of points. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You got to think about, you got to balance with what team you think is going to win out their division uh, with who is going to get just an insane amount of points, but maybe they only play one series. Right. Yeah. You could pick McDavid if you think it'll go to seven games and probably still and lose and still probably not do too badly. Yeah, for sure. But before we get there, uh, we had a couple notes down here. Frederick Anderson getting his first start uh, against the Ottawa Senators in a very long time. And uh, again, we had mentioned previously on our last podcast that he had looked a little bit shaky in his minor league stints. Um, and that carried over a little bit into this start. Um, no egregious errors or goals let in, but you could see a lot of times he was not necessarily sure where the puck was when he was making a save, uh, lost track of it a little bit. That's what happened with, uh, the Connor Brown goal and just, yeah, four goals is, is not ideal. And I think it, it just further solidified that the Leafs really have to go with Campbell come playoff time. So you've changed your tune on that, eh? Well, I wasn't sure when he was going to be back, but the fact mm-hmm. that he is back before the playoffs and getting a little bit of show, it, it at least gives them a reason now to say, okay, he's not 100% ready yet. Let's go with Campbell to start. Whereas I was saying, you shouldn't lose your job to injury, but now he has gotten a start to really show. And it's not the best opportunity if he's coming off injuries, a little rusty, and this is his only shot, but you got to go with the hot goalie for now. Yeah, and I remember at the start of the season, like having qualms with his play and that shakiness, unreadiness, and he took a bit of time to get his feet wet and get his bearings, which, hey, the playoffs are just around the corner. You don't have the luxury of three, four games to get settled in. So I think it's Campbell's rule to lose and the other indicator of that being that um, Keith saying Campbell will start against Winnipeg, which suggests that's the move and I don't disagree with it whatsoever. Yeah, I think you got to keep him in a rhythm, right? Because if he didn't, if he's not starting on Saturday, then it will almost have been two weeks since his last start based on the rest days in between these last two games of the season for the Leafs. So you kind of got to get get him in there just so he is um, in a rhythm going into the first round. We know who the Leafs will be playing, but we will save that for Sunday. Uh, And we will enter the Mass Mutual East Division, where we have two awesome, awesome matchups. And in my opinion, this division is the most difficult to pick. I think really any of these four teams have a shot versus some of the other divisions you could see are a little bit top-heavy. Just my opinion. But that is how I feel. And yeah, we have the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals, as well as the New York Islanders visiting the Pittsburgh Penguins as a mosquito flies by my eyeball. All right, let's get started with Boston versus Washington. Who's going on and why? Yeah. Uh, I am still wavering back and forth, even as I say it now, because I think these two are so evenly matched. It is a 
fantastic matchup. And if you're every other team in the NHL, you got to be really happy that these two have to go through one another in order to uh, make it out of the division because they are big and mean and feisty and like a top line Bergeron, Martian, Pasternak is one of the best, if not the best in the league, in the playoffs when they're going. Uh, but then on the other side, you've got a more recent Stanley cup winner and Alex Ovechkin who can always light the lamp and um, a really solid defensive core there in Washington. I, I think I have to go with the Bruins though, for this series. Firstly, um, and I'll probably say this a ton, but when it comes down to it in the playoffs, you always got to lean with the team with the goalie. And uh, that is, I just trust Tuka Rask, even though he hasn't been at the top of his game this season. I trust him over uh, Washington's goaltenders who neither of them have any playoff uh, experience so far in their careers. All right. I've gone with the Washington Capitals on this one and to start, I'll talk the goaltender. It's just, it can go either way. A goalie can literally win you a Stanley cup, but you, a really young inexperienced goalie can win you a Stanley cup and a really old, almost like falling off the shelf veteran goalie can win you a Stanley cup. Think Tim Thomas, think Matt Murray for like the extreme ends of each spectrum. So yeah, Tuca could totally have a resurgence and like go to like the best he's ever played and steal Boston this series. But like the Washington goaltender could just as easily come in and be this absolute like Binnington Murray stud. So if the regular season numbers are similar, which they are, it, it feels like a flip a coin, which if one of those storylines is going to happen. So I couldn't go off that. What interested me was like Washington, one of the top offensive teams of this season and Boston, one of the top defensive teams of this season. Ultimately, as with all sports, I decided a good offense beats a good defense. And what I think it came down to most for me is yes, Boston has the better, like number one top line, one of the best in the NHL, not just offensively, but defensively as well. But Washington's goal scoring goes deeper. They just have a lot of guys who have gotten more than 10 goals this season. And a couple other guys like uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov and uh, Carl Hagelin, who maybe didn't have like the flashiest season, but you know they're solid goal scorers who will get can get it done for you on the third line. So I just... I think over seven games, Washington manages to find more goal scoring success throughout their lineup. And that's going to be the difference, even if that top line can like win Boston a couple games on their own. I think the, the part that I'm actually most looking forward to out of this series, it's not necessarily any of the stuff we've just talked about. It's the six minutes to eight minutes that Zidane Chara is on the ice and just beating the crap out of his former teammates. I cannot wait for that. <laughs> Man, if we, can you imagine if we see Chara deck Marchand? Oh, like, I might cry tears of joy. <laughs> I might take that over a Leaf Stanley Cup. I'm, I take it back, like hockey gods, who didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, might have to cut it. Never, never speak it into existence. But it will be nice nonetheless. 
All right. Shall we move on to our other series in the East Division between the New York Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins? Max, I'll let you go first for this one. All right. I When I first heard this was the series, I was pretty ready to go Islanders all the way just on like recency bias of the Islanders sweeping the Pens two years ago in the playoffs. But when I looked at how this season had played out, I could not stick with it. I had to take the Penguins over the Islanders. They've won their season series against them 6-2. They're 9-1 in their last 10. I think 10-1 in their last 11. Whereas the Islanders are 2-8 in their last 10. Uh, Neither teams played each other in over a month. So those games go a bit farther back. But the Penguins didn't have Malkin then. They have him now who's been near point per game production since uh, or in the games he has played so I think the two-headed monster is alive and rolling for Pittsburgh and I think the Islanders are not going to get anywhere near the offense they need to win a playoff series and I don't see them uh, like I think the Zajac and uh, Palmieri pickups did not do what they were hoped to do and this is a team on the downswing. They, the only way I, I know you've talked about, and I think this is what you're going to say, they can like force these really low scoring, like gritty, grindy games, similar to the Columbus Leafs. Uh, it might be a bit of a heart pick that I, I just want to see Crosby go as far in every playoffs as he can, but I'm picking the Penguins. <laughs> I am completely in the same boat as you. Um, in terms of everything you've just said, But I have to, once again, just like I did in our preseason picks, I have to emotionally hedge against myself because I do not like the New York Islanders, which is exactly why they will win this series. And Semyon Varlamov, right, um, was my pick for the goaltender of the division in our all NHL selections. And I think he's been really solid. They just, they play like a boa constrictor where they just, suck the life out of the game and it's it's so dreadful but uh the last two years in a row they've taken pittsburgh out of their game and and really taken it to them and if you're the penguins like this is a terrible matchup but at the same time you need to slay the demons in order to move on and so i think if pittsburgh wins this series they have an incredible shot at going all the way but it's just a bad matchup uh and i could definitely see the islanders playing a little bit dead right now near the end of the season and knowing that they're in they're just kind of making sure everyone's getting healthy uh laying low and and they'll be ready to really turn it up come playoff time fair enough i we'll see so there you go we've both got differing uh picks for both series (laughs) shows you how evenly spread this division is um, I guess we might as well go ahead and, and pick our division winners based on off of those. Um, so I believe you have Washington and Pittsburgh in the second round. Do you have a quick off the bat pick of who you think will be winning the East division? Pittsburgh. All right. And based off of my Islanders and Bruins, I will go with Boston winning the East division. Um, again, my two least favorite teams. So there's not really a great pick here either way, but. Uh, I think Boston has caused me more emotional trauma, so I will pick them as an emotional hedge. (laughs) Moving on to the Central Division, we'll go with the number one and number four team next. 
Nashville, Carolina. Who have you got and why? All righty. So this, this is really interesting because um, you've got a team that just on paper seems so superior in all facets of the game. And the Hurricanes have now been a wagon for three, four seasons consecutively. And just, you know, at some point they're going to get over that hump. Uh, because there's just so much talent and so much depth and they come after you way at, wave after wave. But then on the other side, uh, goaltending, right? It's so fickle in the playoffs. And UC Saros has been hot as heck. He's been hot as the sun, like just unbelievable run he's been on. And I'm going to go against my... Uh, general rules come playoff time, but I'm going to pick the Carolina Hurricanes because I think their team just overall is too overwhelming for the talent of the National Predators that even like Saros, I think might steal one or two games with just some absolutely incredible performances, but he hasn't really proven much in the playoffs. And and I think this Carolina Hurricanes team, like they are ready to stampede their way uh, to a final four appearance. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with everything you said. This was the hardest series for me to pick of the ones we're doing today because I I feel like Carolina's going to win, but maybe I just don't quite appreciate this roster or something because when I look at it and I think about the Nashville team that like had their run against Pittsburgh and I think about the chances of a goalie to steal a playoff and I, I get really 50-50 on this and I'm on the fence, but also ultimately just find myself wanting to lean towards the better, more proven team that has had some playoff success in past years, though not gone all the way to the finals yet. Also, I I just have a soft spot for Dougie Hamilton and Tyler Sagan, who should have been Leafs, and so will almost always cheer for the teams they're on. So I'm also picking the Hurricanes, though of all the one versus four matchups, this yeah, even Leafs Canadians, I'll say this is the one I feel an upset is most likely. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I obviously feel differently with my Islanders pick, um, but we will move on to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. Uh, the first ever matchup in the playoffs between these two teams. And if any, if the final couple regular season games are any indication, these teams do not like each other, and the series is going to be a whole heck of fun. So, Max, who you got? Yeah, for sure. I wasn't sure if you were going to mention that the Panthers had won those last couple of games because I was ready to stick in the caveat that the Lightning were arguably missing their three best players in those games, not counting the goaltender. And for the fact that they haven't had Kucherov all season, we'll be getting him back. We're missing Stamkos, who was having a pretty solid season for how he's been the last couple of years. I'm going with them for Victor Hedman, your Norris Trophy winner. And I, I didn't think the stats were there, but I think he is absolutely one of the best defensemen in the world. And for Andre freaking Vasilevsky, both of our Vesna candidates, I'm going with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And if all of that doesn't convince you, then how about the fact that they won a Stanley Cup last year and I think are have just been biding their time this last month and are 
with the roster back loaded and healthy are absolutely ready to kick it into overdrive against a Panthers team that's not going to know what hit them once it does. Yeah, there's not much for me to add there. Um, I do have to shout out Barkov, right? He is my guy as like the most underrated player. And this Florida team has just been incredible this season. And there is a very real possibility that Sergei Bobrovsky could turn back the clock and just stop every single shot in this series. And it's a four, nothing sweep, (laughs) but I think more than likely this Tampa Bay lightning team after getting swept by Columbus is in a full, like just dominate each matchup mode. And I just don't see a facet of the game where Florida is the better team. And Florida can play tough and they might be able to get under the skin of this lightning team, but Tampa Bay has been through it. Now they've been through it so many times together. And this unit is just the continuity is there. The skill is there. Kutrov is going to be an unbelievable boost to this team. And then you sit back on goaltending, right? I say Bobrovsky maybe has a shot to swing this series, but generally he hasn't been great. And you could see even, Drieger getting into this series uh, as the number one. And I just think with those question marks, you know, Vasilevsky is going to be rock solid. Uh, and so, yeah, we're both in agreement on both of these series, Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. And then I also will pick the Tampa Bay Lightning to beat the Carolina Hurricanes in the second round as they did last year in the playoffs, I believe. Not sure there. <laughs> but I'm actually going to go with Carolina. Wow. And again, going against the instincts uh, to pick the the dominant goalie. um, I think just Carolina, this is the year for them to break through and and make another conference final appearance, uh, really stake their claim as one of the top four teams in the NHL because they've been waiting for a while. And uh, I think just teams that it's so incredibly difficult to go back to back and Tampa Bay Kucherov might be back. Stamkos might be back guys might, but they might sustain some bumps and bruises that just Carolina is absolutely poised to take command of this division. And yeah, I, I was on Tampa Bay for a lot of this season, but I think there are just a couple more dominant teams coming out of the West. And so uh, in order to back up that prediction, I have to go with Carolina here. I I do feel like Tampa Bay is the most probable team to give those Western teams trouble. And if it's not Tampa Bay making the finals in the East or maybe the Maple Leafs, depending on how they look throughout the playoffs, I can't really pick any of these other teams to give um, Vegas or Colorado much trouble in the play in the finals. So there you have it. For Max, the Pittsburgh Penguins are coming out of the East. And for myself, the Boston Bruins. And then I have the Carolina Hurricanes to Max's Tampa Bay Lightning. Those are our official playoff picks uh, for now. And we will do the North and the West on Sunday. We'll take a quick break and come back for some combat corner. And we're back. UFC 262 coming up this weekend. And Max is here to... Walk us through some of his favorite matchups. Max, take it away. 
Yeah, after several years, the lightweight division will no longer call its champion, Khabib Nurmagomedov. It will either call it Charles Oliveira or Michael Chandler, short of some freak accident happening during the fight. And this is not the championship matchup anyone could have predicted from the time Khabib retired onwards. Charles Oliveira certainly especially after that Tony Ferguson performance. You can't argue with that. But Michael Chandler, man, like who thought this guy in his second fight in the UFC would be fighting for the undisputed lightweight title? I did not see that one coming, but it's really hard to argue with the performance he had against Dan Hooker, a a guy who had in an absolute firefight barn burners against Paul Felder and Dustin Poirier taking their best and Chandler gets him out of there in half a round beautifully uh, going constantly hitting him with that straight to the body straight to the body straight to the body putting non-stop pressure on him making him move backwards never letting him get comfortable striking never letting him set up uh, never letting him plant throw get his jab which is quite effective going and then times a beautiful hook off the straight after making him misread the timing on like oh it's just one punch it's just one punch and then throwing that second one in there in the right moment It's a beautiful finish of a really elite lightweight and it's earned him a title. And you look at his last fight in Bellator, he similarly had a hard, hard knockout against Benson Henderson, which a less impressive opponent to be sure. But right now you think Michael Chandler and you think knockout power because that's what he's been doing. The question is, how is that going to work out against Charles Oliveira? And I can't quite make the case to myself one way or the other, because when you think Oliveira, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is what comes to mind. It's no doubt his strongest weapon and what his opponents have to be most afraid of. But I've said before, I'll say it again, you don't get to the top of the lightweight division without world-class striking. You just can't do it because even if grappling is your strong suit, It's not going to be enough unless you can strike. You look at what Habib had to do in rounds against guys like McGregor, Poirier, um, just for example. And Oliveira has absolutely had his moments on the feet. Um, The one that stands out the most to me is a knockout or a knockdown to anaconda choke of a striker whose name i am forgetting but he also had the knockout of jared flash gordon on the feet that was a full knockout he looked i thought he pieced up kevin lee on the feet at the start of that third round and forced kevin lee to shoot for the takedown that got him the uh, guillotine reversal on that takedown And I thought against Tony Ferguson, he looked quite good on the feet and was winning the fight there. So Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee, Jared Gordon, take your pick. Those are all great strikers and Oliveira's pretty well gotten the better of them. And the other thing I think about Chandler's knockout of Hooker is it was the wrestling pressure that got Hooker moving back and urgently. And it was the level changes that got him half a second off the timing of those hands. Charles Oliveira isn't going to have to worry about any of that. He 
it's go ahead, make my day, shoot for a takedown on me. Let's see if I can either like hit you with a guillotine like I did with Lee, because I don't even need full guard to finish that. My squeeze is just that good. Or it's, let's see how long you can stay on top of me before I reverse you and get on top and then start hunting for my own submissions. So the wrestling pressure that I think is a big key to all wrestlers, but um, Chandler especially success against Hooker, I don't think will be there for him. I don't think Oliveira has to respect the takedowns of Chandler the way some of his opponents do. And I, I really, when that's in play, I don't know how the it's going to look on the feet. I, Oliveira has looked very slick at times, but Chandler does have that one punch, fuck you, knockout power that he's shown. And it really only takes one. So first round knockout wouldn't be that shocking either. Where this fight gets really, really interesting is if it goes into later rounds because both fighters have question marks there. We've seen Oliveira get discouraged once he's out of the fight, kind of give up. The Felder fight, the his most recent loss, which wasn't that recent at all, the best example of that. And Chandler, a guy that like solid and tight and thick just doesn't have the body type to go five hard rounds. So he does typically wane as the fight goes off, depending how explosive he comes out and if I imagine he will come out fairly explosive. So in theory, Oliveira should have the advantage there, but it's that like heart of iron and like will of a warrior where you kind of imagine Chandler has it more than Oliveira. But maybe you need to go through those losses where you get discouraged and you give up on yourself to polish your heart and become the fighter who always is thinking about how to get a win to become the type of fighter Anderson Silva was to like lock up a triangle choke after getting pounded on by four and a half rounds by Chael Sonnen. So awesome main event, really looking forward to the lightweight division moving forward and can't wait to see who the new champ is. We've also got a, our co-main event in lightweight for this division when Tony Ferguson takes on Benil Dariush, which man, another one where it's hard to know what to make of what you're getting with Tony Ferguson right now. I, a little over a year ago, probably the second scariest name in the division and the guy you would pick to beat almost anyone in it. And now I, I, don't know if he can beat anyone in the top 10 the way he's looked his last two fights and been dominated. Um, what Justin Gaethje did was one thing and like a total on the feet domination. And then Charles Oliveira went and dominated him on the ground. So in both facets of the game, he's been found lacking. So it's not a question of like, oh, if he can just make the fight happen here, it's no, he needs to rev up his entire game and show that he hasn't just been figured out. I, what Oliveira showed was that the takedown defense really wasn't there because he was pretty well able to take him down at will. And the jujitsu was slick enough to match Ferguson's own jujitsu. And I think Dariush has both of those things. He has great takedowns and he has great jujitsu. We saw both in his last fight against Diego Ferreira. And I think Ferreira is actually a pretty similar style of fighter to Ferguson, a little bit wild, a little bit 
crazy on the feet, but like dangerous, lots of pressure and like fantastic jujitsu. And Dariush was able to answer both challenges. Not like a guy you think of when you think of excellent strikers, but the knockout of Drakkar close is hard to argue with. So he's been more dangerous on the feet lately than Ferguson, you could say, based off that. So I've got to lean towards Dariush on this one. I, it is to Ferguson's advantage, I think, that it's an older opponent, someone maybe without like the raw athleticism to just put him to shame. So in terms of like physical shape, you've got to give Ferguson the edge there. It's three rounds, so he should really be able to just like punch the gas tank to 150 throughout the whole fight. But let's see what he's got. Let's see if the boogeyman, the wild magic, the unorthodox school of thought can still has anything left. I, I honestly believe regardless of how this fight goes, Tony Ferguson will not retire until the UFC forces him to, kicking and screaming. So... I'm not going to say anything like this is a home moment in like whether Ferguson keeps on fighting, but it's for sure about who's he going to keep on fighting, how far down the ladder can he slide. Um, a win here and he's still in the top 10 looking to stay competitive. Maybe he can one day fight uh, Makashev, who I'm going to talk about in a second. But a loss here, and I, I think his next opponent would have to be pretty far down the list. And I almost feel bad for Dariush with how much I'm devaluing Tony Ferguson's stock with this because I do hope if he can get it done here that he's riding this crazy momentum and he gets a worthwhile next fight offer based off that momentum that he's riding. But a, a finish would be huge here if he could do it in three rounds, especially like submission wise is how I see it. But three rounds of wrestling domination with submission attempts that get close, but Ferguson never taps is kind of how I see this fight going. So we'll see. Before I talk about the next fight, while I'm on the lightweight division, I wanted to notice that uh, Makashev is going to, Islam Makashev is going to be fighting Tiago Moises which is a really interesting fight. Moises is on a three-fight win streak against some real impressive names, Michael Johnson, Bobby Green, and Alex Hernandez, like three guys who have been in the top 15 at different points in their career and are no jokes, no pushover, and Moises has gotten it done impressively against all of them. And Makashev, obviously, like the protege, the second Habib Nurmagomedov, some people are saying, coming from the same camp, the same area, also tutelaged under his father, now has Habib like full time in his corner working on him. Habib has said like this guy's going to be the champ. Uh, it's it's just a bummer to not see him getting his chance to do that because that's also such a regret about Habib's career is that he didn't get the chance to fight for that belt earlier because you knew he was ready then and his reign could have been that much more impressive had it been that much more longer and that's something you'd hope to see fixed with Makashev so the thing about the rankings are these guys are in them or aren't in them until they are and then they really are like you think Dan Hooker was begging for a fight for a long time he had to just keep getting these impressive stoppage wins. 
but then one now that he's been entrenched in there he's kind of stuck there and it's going to take quite a few losses for him to fall out because you're losing to other top ranked guys you don't lose your ranking so it sucks about the ufc i would much rather these guys riding their own momentum be facing guys who are having trouble like cracking the top and have lost a couple and that we see more potential for division turnover maybe those top guys defend their spot they're up there for a reason but i hope if makashev wins this which i'm sure he will be the favorite to do that we see him with a very quick ascent to the top of the division because like none of those guys in the top 15 want to deal with that problem and i I think it's a shame that he's not getting the opportunities he deserves based on how dominant and amazing he's been because guys just don't want to fight him. All right. The last fight on this card I want to talk about, Shane Burgos versus Edson Barboza at Featherweight. This is one of those fights that just can't be boring. These The style that these two fighters bring, the way they like to fight, what you know they are going to do it it just it's a guaranteed pleasure guaranteed viewing pleasure uh i'm so excited for it edson barboza moving down to featherweight is so interesting he's such a deadly lethal powerful entertaining striker and the only issue is just bigger guys who are amazing wrestlers were able to take him down and pound him at featherweight you can't really see anyone having that size advantage that say kevin lee had on him and there's certainly no habib to haunt him so in theory he should be able to really if he can like maintain the striking he had at lightweight just run through this division off on the wrong foot in his first fight against dan ej i think that was an absolute robbery and barboza won that fight uh, he made no mistakes against Makwan Amerikani in his next one and looked great. So in my eyes, he's fighting for a 3-0 and record at featherweight. Either way, you start piling the wins, and featherweight's in a weird place right now. We don't really know what's going on with it and how all these pieces fit together. So I think a, an exciting challenger who's riding a win streak will shoot right up to the top of the division for a title shot. Um, I think Burgos brings the style to showcase the best out of Barboza. You look at Burgos's last performance against Emmett, just immediately comes out with the pressure, uh, really tries to force him forward, but has to be wary of the power and volume. So even though he's in Emmett's face, he's not throwing a ton. And if he does that against Barboza, it, seems like he's going to get lit up because the I can stay just out of punching range is the perfect kicking range so of course Burgos knows that his coaches know that and he's not going to do the exact same but the fact that his habit is to walk forward getting close and then like stay just where he thinks is out of reach and the defense is a bit lagging where he gets tagged a lot um show is just a lot of potential for Barbosa to absolutely get going where that style is in Burgos's favor is guys who have had success against Barbosa have done so with pressure you think Felder you think when uh, EJ did do well against Barbosa it's because he was walking forward with disregard and just throwing heavy 
Burgos a little more jab style than like the hooking kind of throwing of EJ. But for sure, if he can just get the rhythm and the volume going and pile it up and interrupt the kicks of Barboza, he could just run over him. Um, but this should be a really exciting, fun matchup. I've got Barboza. I, I think Burgos's defense is lacking for the kind of pressure he wants to bring, and that's going to serve him in the worst of both ways. He does stay light on that lead leg, so I don't expect that to get chewn up too much. It, it's more Barboza's uh, body hooks and kicks that I'm really excited to see. So UFC 262, looking forward to it, and I'll be back on Sunday to recap it all. And we're back for Football Fan Cave, uh, North American football or European football. What are you going to go with first? Um European football in North America. <laughs> Soccer. Yeah, the TFC. Uh, they get their much-needed first victory of the season yesterday uh, against the MLS Philippians Columbus Crew, or as uh, they now call themselves, Columbus SC. Uh, I think it was a terrible rebrand, and the logo looks awful, but not my team, so uh, <laughs> we move on. And uh, it was contributions from the veterans for TFC that was really important for them. And, and they finally got some guys back. Michael Bradley scoring early in the game. Uh, he's been empowered by head coach uh, Chris Armas to attack more and, and jump up more. And he doesn't score a ton of goals, but he had a big one today. And then uh, Josie Altador comes off the bench and scores his first of the season. He is a guy who... Uh, has historically done many great things for this team and it's nice to see him back in action because they are going to need him uh, if they want to claw out of this mini hole they've dug for themselves early but the momentum seems to be gathering behind this team uh, even after just one win because they are playing not at home in Toronto and they are de they have apparently been dealing with a stomach virus that went through the team during their uh, Champions League run so things looking up for TFC uh, Jefferson Sotedo had a wonderful uh, first start, uh, looked dangerous, had a absolutely wide open net chance that got cleared off the line by a sliding defender and uh, had a couple nice dangerous crosses. His, he'll be great on corner kicks for this team. And, and um, yeah, both their goals coming off of set pieces and uh, he'll have a greater hand to play in that. And him and Pozuela will have some real creativity on the ball when when they're both ready to rock and roll but that is it for soccer and we move on to the nfl where only in the nfl do we have such an event for the release of their schedule um obviously for other leagues you have your key takeaways but for the nfl it just seems like a bigger deal and so i hopped on the hype train and wrote down some of my key takeaways from the nfl schedule release and uh, i will go kind of in chronological order here uh, opening game of the season is the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, so we see the defending Super Bowl champions get to take on the high powered Cowboys offense with newly signed Dak Prescott. Um, should be a fun one. Lots of offense everywhere. I imagine. And a uh, good way to kick off the season with two teams that are probably the two most talked about 
over the last year. The Cowboys just because they're the Cowboys and then the Bucks because they are the Super Bowl champions. The opening Monday night football is the Los Angeles Rams and the Chicago Bears. Will we get to see Justin Fields in action that night? Uh, still unsure. But uh, the Los Angeles Rams, we get to see Matthew Stafford for the first time. Um, he was formerly the Lions quarterback, but now gets to once again go up against a division or used to be his division rival in Chicago. And so he will know them well and we'll get to see what sort of magic Sean McVay can cook up with uh, Stafford behind the <laughs> behind the behind the line. Thursday, September 30th is the first meeting of Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. So the two number one overall picks of the last two drafts, uh, the Jaguars and the Cincinnati Bengals will be going at it. Uh, two smaller market franchises with big time quarterback talents. And I just can't wait to see them both in action because I think they're both studs. And, and Burrow, of course, his season cut short due to the uh, knee injury, but he will be back and, and ready to roll. The biggest game and the one that everyone has circled and has been waiting for now for a f almost two years, October 3rd, Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. And, and that is the big headline. In, in If you back out, it's the Buccaneers versus the New England Patriots. But this is it right here. The battle for legacy. Brady has now captured his seventh Super Bowl while Belichick, oh, a measly six. But if Belichick can win this game against the Buccaneers, then he may steal back uh, the legacy rankings in terms of being able to win against Tom Brady. It, it's just, it is so fascinating and, and there will be so much talked about leading up to this game. I cannot wait, um, even though I am not a fan of the Patriots dynasty. Sunday, October 24th is a revenge game, which I am looking forward to. It is the Arizona Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt who packed their bags and escaped from the dumpster fire that is the Houston Texans. Um, and I imagine they are looking to lay a whooping on uh, Houston when they return. And it'll be interesting to see how that game turns out. The final kind of takeaway I have from the schedule is not a specific day, but it, it does seem like the Green Bay Packers uh, got uh, a lion's share of primetime games and, and uh, night games, obviously, because they are a historic franchise and have a lot of quality players, but it will look very poorly on the NFL if Aaron Rodgers does not return to the team this year. And um, in the end, I think he, he will. Uh, it gets expensive to not play for an NFL team versus some of the other leagues where you can hold out and not get fined nearly as much just not as much power on the players in the NFL. And even though he is interested in, in playing Jeopardy, I think Rodgers wants to have a couple more rides, attempts at capturing a Super Bowl. And I think the Packers are probably one of the best suited teams to help him do that, just in terms of how they've built their team. Not enough wide receiver talent, but the running backs and the defense are, are really, really solid. And so in the end, I think he'll realize that that's the team to be. But uh, we could have a couple... Jordan Love uh, <laughs> primetime games if, if Rodgers is not back on the team by then. And, and I don't think that NFL schedule makers were thinking about that, but it could be uh, not very good for them if, if that comes to be. The last uh, note I had on the NFL was Tim Tebow <laughs> signing a contract 
or a, a trial contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, for tight end. Um, of course, he was a awesome quarterback for the Denver Broncos for, for a couple of seasons there and, and one of the greatest college athletes of all time with the stuff that he accomplished at Florida. Um, special talent and had a special run, but was just never great at throwing the ball. And so that is going to cost you when you're trying to play quarterback. And now he's got a shot at tight end. Uh, feels like Urban Meyer just taking care of one of his dudes and, and at least giving him a shot. Gets a ton of press for them. I think the the biggest thing that I've been seeing, and, and I kind of agree with, is the fact that Tim Tebow is now getting another shot at 34 after playing baseball for a couple of years when Colin Kaepernick's out there still waiting for a contract. And I don't know if he'll ever get a shot again, but just interesting to see. And um, yeah, it, I, I think Tebow's going to get his bell rung just and not be anywhere close to making the roster, but who knows? He seems to be a lucky guy and wherever he goes, he seems to have some success. I mean, all the more uh, respect to Tebow after that game, the Broncos had last season where who was the guy who had to play quarterback and he only got one pass off. Oh, I, I can't even remember his name. Off the like top of my more head. like what his football, like he'd played quarterback in college or something and was a wide receiver now. Yeah. And like that guy only got one pass off. So like, however much we hate on love to hate on Tebow's uh, quarterback career, like, that kind of helps put into perspective a little. I guess so. I don't know if we'll ever see something like that happen again. That was atrocious. Yeah. There you have it. Uh, football fan cave. Nice and quick, nice and easy. We'll wrap it up. We'll take, I think, one more break, and then we'll come back for some basketball, some tennis, and some baseball. One more break than it is. And we're back for our basketball storylines, maybe our Toronto-centric basketball storylines. As of last podcast, there was a spark of hope left for the Toronto Raptors, but that has been snuffed, stomped on, and pissed all over. Yes, uh, the Toronto Raptors will miss the playoffs for the first time in eight years. Uh, back in 2013-2014, they were the three-seed um, and went to seven games against a Brooklyn Nets team that featured Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, uh, Joe Johnson, Darren Williams. Yeah, different time to be sure. But um, yeah, uh, completely different team that went through its um, amazing share of ups and downs from the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, Lebronto, the <laughs> number one seed, the wind streaks, the buzzer beaters, the uh, rise all the way, culminating in an incredible championship run and pretty solid title defense. Uh, I think they were more Serge Ibaka minutes away from probably making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And from there, who knows if they match up against Miami better than Boston. But uh, yeah, quite a run for this Raptors team. Ends in not the best note, but do not worry, Raptors fans. I have written a fairly lengthy blog post that will be outlining the things to look forward to next season as this feels like a minor bump in the road. I've said it all season. The extenuating circumstances were piled up against them. The odds were stacked against them, and uh, this Raptors team gave effort 
and heart. And that's all you can really ask of them. And I think they will be back and much stronger uh, next year than they were this year. So do not worry, Raptors fans. Read that article. It'll be going up on our site. Um, And yeah, if you enjoy it, share it with your friends. We'll move on to one other piece of news I had. It's it's we'll know for sure, um, or at least we'll be very close to knowing what the playoff seedings are looking like by Sunday's show. Uh, but for tonight, still a lot in flux. So I'm just going to talk about some of the things that are going to have an impact on uh, teams going into the playoffs. Jalen Brown and Victor Oladipo both both having uh, season-ending surgeries. Big blow to the Celtics. Uh, definitely their number two guy and and kind of puts the final nail in the coffin on a season where the Celtics just are searching for answers and and the identity has has become a crisis and there's definitely changes that need to be made in that organization and for the Miami Heat uh, Victor Oladipo was a low price high risk high reward bet that you take every time Uh, but I just don't know how well he was fitting into that system and then the injury here is really tough one because he's had so many now stacked against him and, and what was a very promising career has turned, um, yeah, has just gone the wrong way. And, and it's definitely a lesson to all future players coming up that you're looking to get that money, big money early uh, in your career so that you're not risking a, a potentially debilitating injury like Oladipo suffered with the quad and, and now he's got another one that needs work on. But the Miami Heat, despite that, have been on a run as of late. And if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, who are pretty much locked into that one seed, that's probably not the team you want to see in the second round of the playoffs. But uh, there's not that many great choices now. Miami's probably that that fourth best team in the conference. You could argue that they're better than that. But um, that's the team that looks to be slotting in against Philly as Brooklyn and Milwaukee play on their side of the bracket. You had to pick one player to uh, match up against Embiid in the Eastern Conference. Could you pick anyone over Adebayo? I yeah, I, it's just, Bam is unbelievable, and uh, I almost regret not having him on my All NBA team. I think he's definitely on an All Defensive team. He is incredible. Um, he's super physical too against most bigs. I just think Embiid is in a different weight class. And your best bet is Milwaukee throwing Brooke Lopez at him because at least he's in the same weight category. Like Embiid's going to eat up Lopez, but at least it's the same weight. You can throw a couple fouls at, and then hopefully you have a bunch of lengthy defenders you can throw in a double team and, and get Embiid off his game. That was kind of the Raptors recipe was having a really big guy like Gasol um, knowing Embiid's tendencies in the post and then just throwing a bunch of length as double teams and getting the ball out of his hands and making him make quick decisions. That's probably your best bet. And and Miami throws a ton of different looks on defense with the zones, uh, with the varying degrees of man and, and some of the stuff that they do. So if there's a team, if there's just a team scheme that may work against Embiid, that's probably who you should bet on. But I think in just a one-on-one matchup and having the right defensive personnel, I'd go with Milwaukee over Miami in that matchup. Interesting. 
Alrighty. We'll have plenty of more time to talk basketball and make our playoff predictions. They could come as early as Sunday, but if not, we will get to watch the play in tournament next week and then have our playoff predictions by next Thursday's pod. So definitely looking forward to the end of the NBA season and the playoffs are going to be awesome. I just can't wait. So Max, we'll move out of basketball and into tennis. You caught some of the action of the Italian open today. Uh, give me some of those takeaways and, and what you saw today. Yeah, I was just looking for something to do this morning that didn't involve getting off my couch. And I open up TSN and I see Denis Shapovalov with a chance to beat Rafael Nadal. And my eyes pop out of my head. I click live and I start just as the third set begins to start. Seeing that it's 1-1 with Shapo having taken the first 6-3 and then Nadal answering back 6-4. And I watched the final set play out, and man, it I, it was great tennis from Chapo from so many parts of it against Nadal, a world-class, the second seed in the world in this tournament, the king of clay. So it it feels a bit cruel to rag on him whatsoever when he put up a hell of a fight, but... It was the most frustrating part is he had it at times. He had it and he let it go on multiple occasions. First, he uh, manages to break Nadal. He did a great job uh, aggressively returning some strong serves, but maybe not Nadal's best. And uh, I think he even gets in Nadal's head a little because Nadal like takes till the very last second to throw. I thought he went over on his first serve faults. And then on the rally following his second serve ends up putting the ball long. Um, Chapeau's able to break, but then he just, Nadal breaks right back. And uh, Chapeau went down love 30 in that one. Then he kind of stumbled there and Nadal finished it well, but Chapeau like opened the door for himself and then slammed it shut and then like opened the door for Nadal who was happy to walk through it. And that was a real turning point in the set. Nadal kind of felt like he was putting on the pressure there. His service wins suddenly got a lot quicker than Chapo's were getting. Uh, Chapo's serve had to bail him out a couple times. It, the bailing out maybe helped him. He, I, I thought it might be over for him several times, but he managed to hang in on his service games each time, usually off his serve. And then when he's up 6-5, he gets his match point against Nadal, has a chance to win it all. And man, I mean, Rafa back against the wall has a quality serve and manages to just dictate the rally where he's pounding the forehands, Shapo's answering on backhands, but he can't get anything going. And you just know that Rafa's not going to miss there. He's just going to keep doing it and keep inching his way towards that like perfect blistering corner bomb. So Chapo has to take a risk, looks for a backhand straight, and he just can't get that much on like a king of clay's forehand. Uh, he had a second attempt, but like, fumbled it on kind of like what I call a forced unforced error where like, yeah, it's an unforced error technically, statistically, but there's a lot of pressure on you to make that shot. 
And that was kind of it for him. Uh, Nadal able to stay strong throughout the rest of the match and uh, had a pretty dominant, easy tie break. I thought for the most part throughout that set, he was just a little more consistent at the highest level of play. I mean, Chapo would have like more aces and a couple like absolute beautiful shot makes, but he couldn't do that as consistently. And when he wasn't doing that, he was just making unforced errors. Um, the other the other thing about Chapo is he doesn't have that many double faults, but they always seem to come at the worst possible times. I mean, uh, he, he almost dropped, got broken a second time and had to go back against the wall with some high-level amazing serving that bailed him out of trouble that time. But then in the tie break, he had a double fault that kind of started the gap that uh, Nadal was ultimately able to capitalize on. So salutations to the King of Clay for a fantastic comeback and some awesome tennis. And uh, Chapeau put up a great fight and he, he looks to be doing decently on these clay courts. So maybe if you go that close against uh, Nadal, there's something to be excited, optimistic, and hopeful for the French Open, which will be the next major tennis tournament. Roland Garros, uh, an awesome tournament, one of the oldest sporting events uh, in our modern era. And um, yeah, both these guys, I know Felix is out too after a great performance against Diego Schwartzman, um, upsetting him in the second round. But both these kids are both so young and they're just knocking on the door of what their potential can be and knocking on the door of a top 10 seed in the world. And you know, at some point, one of them is going to have a breakout tournament for Chapeau. Could it be this year's French Open? Uh, who knows? But the prospect of it is exciting. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. I think we've got a little baseball to wrap up the show now. Yes, sir. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, would be undefeated this season if they only ever had to play the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> and uh, I wish that was the case, but alas, uh, it is not. The Jays sweep both series against Atlanta, uh, so 6-0 and on the series, and, uh, on the season, pardon me, and uh, a lot of different contributors in this series. And uh, the second game was Teoscar Hernandez, with two home runs in the last three innings, uh, sealing it. And, and late offense was really the story of this series for the Jays as they kind of hung in there in all these games against Atlanta. And then late, late in seventh, eighth, ninth, they were able to add insurance. Uh, Biggio with a couple of doubles, Bichette with a two-run double there in the, in the top of the ninth. And things just get shut down by this bullpen. It is one of the best in the MLB right now. Uh, Tyler Chatwood's really stepped up and Jordan Romano's back and dealing at the same level that he was last season. Um, great video today of Vladimir Guerrero of at, over at first uh, imitating Romano's delivery. He always crouches before each pitch. Uh, it was nice in sync moment. Um, and yeah, the pitching has been wonderful from the bullpen. Stripling was solid today after uh, a tough first inning. He settled down. Ryu steady as always gave him seven innings, uh, on Wednesday night. And, uh, yeah, uh, the last thing I want to talk about is a guy coming up. We didn't think he'd be here this soon, but uh, if he keeps pitching the way he's, he's pitching, the Jays won't have a choice. And that is Alex Manoa, who 
Uh, I mentioned last week he had a great start for the Buffalo Bisons. Again, he goes out and throws five scoreless innings, only giving up one hit and two walks. Um, He has amazing stuff, like high-end fastball and a wicked slider. There was a clip of the batter kind of jumping out of the batter's box, and the slider came back and caught the inside corner. Um, Really, really tantalizing stuff from Manoa and later on this season we could definitely see him coming out of the bullpen I think I don't know if he'll be a starter for this team but with the stuff that he has and and the electricity of his fastball we could see him uh coming in from the bullpen uh as a late inning guy similar to what we saw out of Aaron Sanchez uh when the Jays made a couple playoff runs many years ago So be excited, Blue Jays fans, because he has been showing great stuff. Nate Pearson, despite the struggles, uh, is still very highly touted, um, and I think he'll be able to pull things together, still so young. And Simeon Woods Richardson is also on the way. So um, looking forward to the future of Blue Jays pitching. That will do it for baseball, and that will do it for our podcast. Uh, Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, I got that new feature article coming out on the Toronto Raptors. So if you are a fan or know someone who is a Raptors fan slash hardcore basketball fan, feel free to pass that along. Um, and yeah, just hang in there. Survive the, uh, the arrival of the cicadas. And uh, yeah, we'll be here in our rooms ready to provide some entertainment and sports analysis you can find the link to our website both in our instagram bio and at the bottom of every youtube video including this one not so much on the spotify feed you'll have to do a little digging there also if you are in quebec and 18 plus you are now eligible to be vaccinated cheer for me boys i got my vaccine appointment coming up june 3rd june 4th So uh, on that note, Sports Next Door signing off.